Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your faithful host, Sourdough, and man, do we have a great show for you guys today. Today, we are going to meet Andrew Medeiros of Good Month Labs out of Portland and Ashton Owens of Baz Golf out of Springfield, Missouri. Now, these guys have been up to some really cool stuff in the NFT space. And Baz Golf is on the cutting edge of connecting the sport of golf with contemporary art, specifically through NFTs. And they've been working with Kyle Kill out of Perth, Australia, to drop some amazing NFTs that are available and to help build the Baz Golf brand and connect young people with golf. I mean, they're making old white dude sport relevant and contemporary through the dynamic, really poignant art of Kyle Kill. So, and by the way, if you don't know Kyle Kill, you better check them out. Just Google them. That's K-Y-O-K-I-L-L and uh, check out his stuff. You're going to dig it. But I just love talking to Andrew and Ashton because they're both so smart and really driving and living on the cutting edge of what is happening in Web3 and, you know, with NFTs. So I want to get into this. Uh, Andrew majored in philosophy in college and, of course, ended up in tech. <laughs> How's it, how interesting is that? And Ashton, you know, he and I connected over our Midwest roots. And these guys are just great. I know you're going to love hearing from them. But before we get into our main event, I want to thank our friends at Hijinks. Artist Management and PR for making this episode possible. If you're an artist and you need help with management or PR, Hijinx is for you. So check them out today at www.hijinxarts.com. And that's spelled H-I-J-I-N-X arts.com. Hijinxarts.com. Shout out, guys. Thanks for making this possible. Now, without further ado, let's get into our main event and talk to these very Smart, cool human beings, Ashton Owens of Bass Golf and Andrew Medeiros of Good Month Labs.
Ashton Owens, Andre Medeiros. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Let's go. Thanks for having us. Man, oh man, guys, I'm so, you guys are classing up the joint, you know, it's like we're leveling up today. We got some cool, cutting edge innovators on the podcast today with what you're doing at Good Month Labs and Baz Golf. I mean, listen, I'm going to admit, guys, I'm a neophyte here. I'm a newbie. Like, like I couldn't wait to learn about what you guys are doing. You know, our mutual friend, Heidi Johnson from Hijinx PR brought us together and I'm just so grateful because, you know, you guys are on the cutting edge. I mean, when it comes to what's happening with Web3, when it comes to what's happening with obviously NFTs and crypto and everything, it's obviously so exciting. But then also you're bringing in not just great art and great artists, but you're bringing in your personal passions for sport, and in this case, golf. And it's just this amazing sort of fusion of things. And that's kind of where it's all going, right? I mean, in terms of connecting the dots and just sort of well, real innovation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of comes from the core of having a uh, passion and counterculture. That's how I got here into the NFT space to begin with. And we've infused that through Baz Tour, Baz Golf, as well as what we're doing for Good Month Labs. But I think, you know, this is an art podcast and, and we want to stick around the art and be in the art the whole time. But I think it's really crucial to kind of point out and talk about the cryptocurrency tokenization side of it all because that's why we're here and that's how we got here. I'm a cybersecurity guy by trade and the blockchain and cryptocurrency just absolutely had me infatuated starting back in 2014. And I had known that NFTs, this thing that was going to allow JPEGs and PNGs to sit on top of this technology was going to be a thing, but I didn't think that it was going to be a social and cultural phenomenon like it has become. I thought that was going to be like a 2030 item and it was going to take people who are nine to 11 years old now to become 22 and whap us over the head and tell us, you know, we've got it all wrong. But it just, you know, I think the pandemic was a forcing function and it kind of put people in the space of doing their day jobs and then also having their personal computer right next to it as everyone went remote. People kind of got a little tired of the news. And so people started to look around for art and started to look for things that made them a little bit more happy. And then you just had this prism and this collision of this like counterculture from the decentralized side meets counterculture from like lowbrow to highbrow art meets kind of cutting edge transient traders at the same sense. And it's just, it's just a fusion of all three bodies coming together and really kind of created a renaissance. Uh, and it's often referred to as the degenesance. And <laughs> I haven't uh, heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty spot on and correct. And, you know, we just have an extreme passion at Good Month Labs of, of, helping artists be able to take their art to the blockchain and not have to learn the blockchain jargon, obfuscate that tech. We, we, t we call ourselves being the turbo tax of NFT deployments because, you know, you don't have to understand legal jargon to get it out there. And then with Baz Tour, it's our own personal NFT project. And it's just our way of kind of coming in counterculture with art we like to say, hey, we, we like art and we want to golf and we want art to be a part of golf. And today art is not a part of golf. So let's kind of fuck it up. I love it. I love it. You know, part of the reason why I love your story, Ashton, is because, you know, like two lifetimes ago, I was a triathlete and I had a similar feeling about triathlon. I'm like, why is all the gear 
fucking lame. You know, like, like why can't we bring art and some cool style, streetwear style maybe, to the world of sport? And, you know, and, and forgive me if I get it wrong here, but I mean, that's kind of what you're doing with golf, right? I mean, you're bringing that flavor and that street art uh, aesthetic, if you will, the street art ethos more likely to the world of golf. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I didn't play golf. I grew up in sports. I grew up in basketball. So really the the street culture and sneakers and the streetwear was really a, attractive to me. And it wasn't, you know, golf wasn't that sport. It was an old white man when you're retired sport game and the clothing kind of reflected that. And so for a long time, I didn't play it just because of that factor, which is crazy. And so it wasn't until late 20s that I finally went out with my father-in-law and played. And I realized I really love this game. You know, being a huge Michael Jordan fan, Steph Curry fan, you know, these, these massive athletes that when they're not competing on the court, they're going to the tee box and they're, and they're going at it. And so I always was intrigued by that, but there was a barrier for me. And I feel like it, it's not just the clothing, right? It's if you're not comfortable in your clothing, you don't really connect with what you're wearing. The other elements of golf, which is extremely difficult to get over and, and really understand, it's just a difficult sport to enter. And so for us, that was our kind of our platform and our mission was we have Web3 and we have NFTs, we have the metaverse, which is on one side, which is kind of unapproachable and hard to understand. And you have golf, which is on the completely opposite side, right? And, and it's hard to approach and it's it's hard to get into. So how can we bring these two worlds together and really find a, a medium? And so NFTs just happen to be that that route for us and, and fashion and, and allowing the community to help build and create and design the clothing that you know, you're not just wearing on course, you're wearing in your daily life. That's really our mission is that one day you'll be, you know, in the mall, you'll be out, you know, at Starbucks with your kids and you'll see something that you really like and you'll have no idea that it's a golf brand. It's just a, it's, it's a dope piece of clothing. And that's when we see, you know, the potential of, you know, golf shoes, you know, what would it look like if one day a, a pair of basketball shoes was transformed from a golf shoe? You know, because the golf shoe was so dope, it was so different that like a basketball player had to have that shoe. You know, right now you have all these basketball shoes being turned into, you know, football cleats. You have them turned into golf shoes. Like, let's flip it on the head. Let's see what we can do in this sector and, and make it a little bit more approachable. Well, you know, it's, you hit on so many cool things. And I mean, one of the things that though resonates about your story for me is a little bit ironic is because I'm probably as about as proficient at golf as I am NFTs. You know what I mean? Which isn't saying a lot. <laughs> I love the game of golf. I do. It is amazing. It gets a bad rep. I mean, it is so difficult. It is such a challenging game. And I love it. That idea that I'm going to hit this little ball way down there <laughs> into yeah. a little hole. Yeah, you know what? And I'm sorry, if I'm going to do that, I want to look cool. You know, yeah. I want to look, Absolutely. if I'm going to look like a full playing, I want to look cool <laughs> doing it. You know what I mean? And, 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 so, <laughs> and I just love what you're about, man. Good for yeah. you. Absolutely. So, all right, Andrew. So a lot of artists are listening right now, you know, and part of what I love about what uh, Good Month is doing is you sort of said, you said you're like the turbo tax uh, in some ways of for NFTs and that it's a, you're a turnkey one-stop solution. That would imply to me that you're a turnkey one-stop solution 
for artists who want to get into the NFT space. You know, like from what I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of artists about this and, you know, I'm older than you guys. I mean, the point is like a lot of my contemporaries who have been practicing art, maybe they're in their 40s, 50s, you know, they're looking at the NFTs and they're intrigued and they're excited by the possibilities, but they're, you know, they're a little uncertain, you know, they, you know, they don't really know how to you know, how to do it. And maybe they've heard that, oh, you know what? Like you need a team, you need security, you need like all these things. You don't want to get ripped off, you know, all that stuff. So how does Good Month take the pain away for artists in terms of getting, getting into the space? Yeah, absolutely. So Good Month's in development now of what's called the Cake app. And so we're servicing customers now on the back end as we're as we're building out the application. But in the next month, we'll have this app out in time for NFT NYC, which is, is going to be exciting. And essentially, this app is kind of targeting the two different personas. It's one, it's one persona who is an artist or a marketer and doesn't have a lick of any understanding of technology and really isn't trying to understand that or needing or wanting to understand that. And the other persona is the people that are like in the NFT space that just need a developer that has security happenstance and experience to be able to understand, you know, the nature of the blockchain with security being native. So those are the two different personas, but the one, you know, that we should be talking about here is the artist. I think there are a lot of artists that are skeptical of NFTs because it's a weird thing. The mediums of art, as we know, as time evolves, the medium of arts evolve slowly as well. And they always kind of go back and forth to what they were on originally. And then there's mixtures, there's mixed media, there's canvas, there's tech art that are, is made of texture on the wall, there's sculpture, there's watercolor, there's all these different mediums that have evolved over time. And all of a sudden, this brand new medium that's been Fun up and just come at us like a bat out of hell is this the blockchain, which is creating NFTs. And I think it's an extremely intimidating medium for artists to jump into. And if, if you're an artist that's been doing this for 10 to 15 years, and now you need to go, you feel like you need to go express yourself on a medium you don't understand, that puts a lot of artists in a position that isn't where they need to be creative. And so Cake app is essentially something that will allow them to click through a workflow, use human readable options and human readable copy to kind of understand how they want to engage their collectors, how they want to stand up their collection and be advised by our workflow uh, that matches the industry and so that they can kind of be guided, almost have kind of a, a Sherpa through the process without having to crunch and understand and learn all of it. And then we'll also have partner networks where we'll be able to plug them in with marketers and business operators and things like that, where they can hand those off and let people run their the, the stuff that would likely overwhelm them, like their Discord or their Twitter account or whatever it may be. That's less our bread and butter, but that's definitely like a partner hub solution that we can provide them. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, you know, thinking about it from my own kind of selfish perspective, I mean, with a name like Not Real Art, I mean, we absolutely need to be in the NFT space, right, on a certain level. And but I've hesitated because I'm like, okay, you know, a, you know, I want to learn. I don't, you know, I don't know what I don't know, whatever. But I also know that we're a lean, mean operation, and I don't want to start something that I can't sustain or do properly or whatever. And so, to hear about a good month and, and the service you guys are providing resonates with me as a small business uh, arts organization. You know, because I need you. 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> and and yeah. I, yeah. And, and that's a great point because, you know, what's been happening when you're really on the inside of the NFT world for the last year and a half to two years, you understand that the market value that's come out of some of the bigger projects is usually born out of confusion. And it's really no different than art. A lot of the times you look at like Duchamp's uh, toilet, right? Everybody is confused why that's art. But the fact is, is that it was done in from an artistic intentionality to be art. No one had done it before and it resonated with people. And, and that type of confusion is laden throughout all these different NFT projects from the Board Ape Yacht Club, which was very confusing to people at first, and then all the way through what we're at right now, which is this NFT phenomenon called Goblin Town, which has the whole market just completely confused if you're in the space no one really knows what they're buying or why they're buying, but what they do know is that they love it and they're here for it. And I think it's that same effect that art has on us, specifically like the lowbrow art. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's right. Yeah. It's wow, wow west right now. All kinds of <laughs> all kinds of exciting new stuff, you know, and it takes smart, articulate, friendly people like you guys to break down those barriers, right? Because, you know, there is a bit of mystique there, you know, and you want to mitigate the fears that people have. And, you know, and I think, you know, it's like, I'm just loving your energy and I'm loving your personality because it's like that friendly nature. And I'm guessing the community is a pretty friendly community if you get into it, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, some of the most brilliant people I've ever met have come out of this community and I've worked with a lot of brilliant people in tech, uh, specifically in the cybersecurity side. So no knock on them. They're equally as brilliant. And just a lot of folks are kind of coming out of the woodworks doing jobs that you wouldn't expect and bringing opinions that are just out of this world and really adding value to communities across the network. So Ashton, talk about your current collection of NFTs on sale. I think uh, it's on OpenSea, yeah? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Baz Tour. Right. So talk to us about the artist and the art. What's going on there? Yeah. So really the beginning of this is Andrew had found this artist, Kyle Kill, who was absolutely brilliant. And what's really, I, I think it's funny that I get to tell this side of the story because, you know, when <laughs> this is how me and Andrew met, which is crazy. We were connected through a client that I was working with. I was not in NFTs at all. So back up just a little bit further. My personal experience in NFTs is that I was not a believer. So my background is in sports marketing. I work with professional athletes. I help build brands, sell sneakers. Like my childhood dream was to be in the NBA. I am 6'3". I have a mediocre jump shot, no shot of gain in the league. And so I took a step back and I'm like, I want to work with these guys. I'm going to be in the NBA somehow. It just won't be what I thought. And so, you know, that was my background. And so then me and Andrew uh, get connected. And, you know, when I was introduced to the Board Apes, it was very early on and they were not expensive. And I thought that they were the stupidest thing I had ever seen. Like, I just was not a believer. I was like, it's cool, but like, why would I spend so much money at that time? It was, you know, a couple grand. And I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. I don't see the connectivity to my real life, like to my players, to my athletes, to my brands. Like, I don't understand the connection here. And that's, you know, that was a mistake. And so it was a few months later that I woke up and that same ape was worth a lot more in the six figure range. And so I called Andrew up and, you know, we started working together. And, and so his perspective on this artist, he's just, Andrew's incredibly talented at finding art. He's, we've been going through, he's been helping me. He continues to help me as a friend, even though we're partners, find art 
And, you know, I'm infatuated with like, why is this art good to you? What sticks out? And he just has a, an understanding and a really good palette for it. And so that's, you know, when we were looking at Baz tour, you know, Kyle kill just, just killed it. You know, he had a vision for it and it was really beautiful. It was different. It was a, it was a dinosaur. I mean, it's completely random. And I'll be honest. I mean, the same thing I was like, I mean, I love the art and I think he's extremely talented, but really a dinosaur. Like I don't, I'm not sure I, I get it. And then as Andrew kind of walked through the process and walked through that series and I started to learn the process of like the different traits. And, and I mean, he was coming up with this spreadsheet of the most random stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I'm a visual person. I'm a creative. I'm a designer. Like I should be getting this. And it wasn't until we were about 60% through the project that I'm like, okay, I'm like all in on this. I totally get what you're doing here. And Kyle Kill just continued to crush it. I mean, he continued to to show up and and you know, it took a while. It took a while for us to kind of get our bearings and and really find that rhythm. But once we found that, you know, communication style between us and the artist. It really started to take shape and get exciting. And, and he did an incredible job. I mean, through and through, just crushed the project. And so it's really based around just, you know, our love for golf. But it comes down to people are entering the space. What's really cool because they love the art. And I think that's what is interesting is like you can have the why. You can have like the clothing and everything we talked about with golf, right? But there's a whole other aspect that people are entering in, you know, may never play golf. But they are attracted to it because the art was so well done, you know, was well executed. So it's really fun. I mean, kudos to Andrew. He found him. He he brought him in. So that's my perspective on it is that I came in not believing just like the board apes. Like I wasn't a believer and then I was wrong. And so I just I've learned to just give Andrew like, all right, I don't know. But yes, like you get it. I don't. Just let Andrew handle it. He's got it. You're in charge. Let's go. It's pretty crazy. I mean, we should talk a little bit about the trait process. I mean, the way to make these generative pieces of art is it's pretty wild. And most artists, when you go to work with them, you know, Kyle Kill was different. He actually was from the Bored Ape community. He was doing derivatives of other people's apes. And he did a derivative once when I I was just like jealous that it wasn't on mine. Uh, So that's how I originally found him. So he was already kind of in the game and kind of had an idea how these traits work. But a lot of artists... They think that they actually have to hand draw a collection of a thousand or a collection of 500 and they don't. They just get to create these traits. They have their primary layer, they have a secondary layer, and we have a generator that then just throws all these traits together. We then code up dependencies based on the artist's preference and then they get to QA them. And, you know, that's when the perfection and the, uh, the artist really comes out and gets to you know, be really nitpicky on how these traits layer, but it's just, it's wild. Sometimes when you work really hard on the traits, sometimes you just get these, these outputs that are just, they're just mesmerizing. I mean, there are just some combinations that even though you're making the traits and you think you can visualize what they would look like together, but you see them and sometimes they're just shocking. Like Ashton within Baz Tour, he has a a red chrome dinosaur with a beanie and flag eyes coming out and this bad shirt and this milk purple background. It just is, it's an amazing piece of art. And I think, you know, we had this like human, we kind of had this social experiment where we were like, let's throw art and humans and golf together and see if we can get people to connect over art and then have conversations about golf. And it's exactly where we got. And so we couldn't be we couldn't be any more stoked with the community that we've built. And we're actually still minting as well. So we're a rare project in the sense that we're not like 
marketing. We're not paying for marketing at all to bring in transient traders to make it a, a financial thing. We're just we know that the game of golf takes a long time to introduce people to. So we have a 7,200 token collection supply. We've minted 3,000 and they're still able to mint for 0.09 ETH on Baz.golf. So. Amazing. So, you know, Andrew, when you talk about the traits, you know, I'm old school, right? So I came up on like Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and, you know, all that stuff, right? So when, it, when an artist is creating these NFTs and they're creating these traits, what software are they using? Where are they doing? Is it code? How does that function? Yes. Out? So that's the cool thing about what KCAP's doing is we're taking care of the code and the generation. They get to stick to what they know and what they're comfortable in. So they get to work in Illustrator, Photoshop, whatever software is. I wish Kyle Kill was on this podcast right now because he could talk about the version of Illustrator he was using while he was creating this. I wish I wish we yeah. recorded those calls because it it might have yeah. been a version from 1998. It was pretty, yeah. it, you know. <laughs> But it just goes to show, right? He was just using what he loves. Yeah, I wish he could have been on too. Because in college, I lived with a girl from Perth. So I wanted to see if they knew each other. But uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I uh, guess with the time difference, it didn't uh, didn't quite work out. But Matt, you know, shout out to him and, and his brilliance. And, you know, and Andrew, you, I mean, talk about brilliance. I mean, I, I'm starting to feel like you're a, a real polymath, my friend. And, you know, so you've got the you've got the left brain thing happening. You got the right brain thing happening. But a bit of a creative director here. You know, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could throw more wrenches in the in the mix <laughs> here. I'm a philosophy major. That's what I went to school for. And then I just came, became fascinated with tech. And then I went to San Francisco. I worked in tech. And for the last seven years, I've been working in cybersecurity. And a company that I worked for was founded by two NSA members. And we basically were privatizing what the NSA had been doing at the government. And they decided that to come out to out west and privatize it and build a build a cybersecurity business where you basically hack into the Fortune 500 and show them how you got in. And I just had some of the wildest mentors that I was able to connect with during that time. I popped off that company to join another company, me and four others, or yeah, me and three others. And then we hired our fifth and we sold it within six months to Jamf Software and just some of the most brilliant engineers that I've ever worked with working on endpoint uh, Mac OS security. And so I've just kind of been into tech, but I also have, I write raps and I write poetry and I've always, <laughs> I've always just had this art side. I, I went to be a philosophy major to write better raps and, you know, flash forward, you get into NFT space, you buy a, a board ape, you get to join Timbaland's project and you get a rap over a Timbaland beat, which I got into a little bit ago. So it's just a wild world. And it, and it and, is. And, and then yeah. you get to come on Not Real Art and talk all about it. I mean, look, yeah. I mean, you're really going places, pal. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, it's, it's been a blast, right? I love it. I love it. I don't know. I was here. I don't know if you know the comic Norm McDonald, but he recently passed away. And Norm had a, he had recorded a secret special for Netflix that they just released. And I was watching, I was watching it. And he had this joke. He said, yeah, he said, people are calling comics the new philosophers. He's like, 
I don't really like that joke. It makes me feel bad for the real philosophers. <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know? And uh, anyway, so that's that's a, a, an incredible story, man. I, you know, that's what I love. I mean, you know, the journey, right, that we're all on, you know, to have a quality life, to stay passionate, to stay interested and hopefully make a buck or two along the way. You know what I mean? And part of what I love about what's happening with technology and NFTs and Web3 really is the power shift back to the people, you know, and at least that's what Web3 feels like to me, you know, and I'm a neophyte. What do I know? But I mean, that really feels like like that's what it is. It's a liberating, emancipating, democratizing revolution. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't double down on that anymore. And it goes across the board. You have artists that are used to getting 20% of what they put out there in the world. And there's terms on their royalties and such. And now it's flipped. Like they can put art out there and get 95% back provided they can cut out enough middlemen, right? And they don't, they're not paying a software developer 40% and whatnot. And that's really the point of Cake App as well is come in, pop in, you pay us a little bit of a percentage, but you take 90 plus and roll on in your world. And I think that that's really the key to it all is giving people the ability to really reap rewards on the time they put into things proportionate to, you know, at the actual effort that they drove the value. So before we started recording here today, Ashton and I were talking about how we have our Midwest connection, right? So Ashton, you're in, you said uh, Springfield, right? Missouri? Springfield, Missouri. That's right. Springfield, Missouri. Right. Okay. So I know you're focused on golf right now, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I may have a good solid business idea for you for your next idea, because (laughs) I'm from the Midwest, as you know, and I just got back. I got back late last night and I was back home visiting family and I got to see my godson and my godson. He's not racing anymore, but he was for about 12, 13 years. He was a serious motocross racer. Okay. And you walk into his garage You walk into his garage and he's got all of his dirt bikes, got all of his trophies. I mean, the guy, you know, did, you know, had a, had a great run at it. And I was asking him actually about, and I'm good friends with his dad, obviously, and his dad's, you know, big into the sport and stuff. And, and there doesn't seem to be anything going on with NFTs in the motocross space. So I'm just telling you as one creative guy, innovator, entrepreneur to another, you may want to look at that next because it feels like there might be some good money there. For sure. I mean, I think it's, I mean, you're spot on to what we believe and what really drew us in, right? So like I said earlier, my introduction into this space was that I was a hater. I was a non-believer. I had to see the connection to real life. And I believe it's the same is true for most people. Like motocross, you know, whatever you're into, there's going to be a point. And, and, you know, I I told my brother this, you know, as he was trying to get into it. And I just said, listen, there's going to be a, a day where you won't drive a car unless you have an NFT asset connected to it. And you're an actual owner of that brand. Like there's going to be a point where the expectation and the real life use case is going to be connected to everything that you're a part of. And, you know, we don't know what that is. And, and that could be way off. But, you know, take it as an example of like something that everyone has and everyone purchases and everyone's a part of is it's a car. I think that that will go to the real estate side and in the real life. Like I think that there's a component and the way that our community, the way that this world continues to grow 
is people like me. I'm, you know, our core customer when it comes to someone that's on the complete other side, right? But you come in and you start to understand like, oh, this is how this connects. This is how this world works. And you start finding that for you. That is when people will start transitioning from, oh, NFT, it's a JPEG. I don't understand to, oh, I get it. It's a membership. Oh, I'm a part of something. Oh, I get this. I have access to that. Um, that's when it starts getting really interesting. So yeah, I mean, great opportunity. I think that there's going to be multiple industries, multiple things like that, that are going to pop off as soon as someone has a good enough idea, good enough connection, has a platform like Cake and is able to execute on it. That's really what's going to start happening for us. And and we'll start seeing that, you know, in the coming days. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, I think, because I'm speaking from my own experience, right? Because I mean, initially that phrase NFT art, it sort of confused me because at first I, I thought NFT art, wait a minute, the, um, what I'm looking at really doesn't look like art. I mean, I get that we're calling it art, but maybe it's not art. But what was happening was I was conflating the NFT with the art. And what I came, mm. came to realize is that the NFT was really the certificate of ownership, title of ownership, certificate of authenticity. It was, you know, it was a token that showed, no, I own this image, the image was the image, you know, the art is the art is art. So the bifurcation of the two for me became a real moment of clarity because I realized, oh, right. No, this certificate of ownership, this NFT could be applied to cars or shoes or or any number of things. It's not about the art, you know. Yeah, I think it comes down to like I try to explain to people like I could go and take a picture of a Ferrari and be like, I own this Ferrari, right? But that doesn't mean I actually own it. There's a title, there is paperwork, there is registration that I own and have paid money for that. It's the same thing when people are arguing with like right click save, you know, on JPEGs, like, oh, I just took a screenshot of your JPEG. It's like, that's great. You can tell everyone that you own that, but I actually own that. Like I actually have the contract that shows that. And when people start understanding it, you know, it's funny that, you know, we've gone through, I feel like for Andrew and I, especially in this season, you know, me coming in is like, you know, not knowing anything till I'm leading people and I'm guiding people and I'm answering questions that they're not even asking yet because I've been there. But it's a lot of people that are just, they're confused by it. And so I think for us, it's most of our time is spent educating people. I feel like we're just educators sometimes, which is exciting and, and exactly what I think everyone in the space right now needs to be doing. There's There shouldn't be anyone just beating their chest and saying, you know, I'm, you know, this is my thing. This is who I am. You know, everyone should be looking for opportunities to educate and bring people in and help people understand the power of NFTs and the use case of NFTs. And that's when we win. And that's when, you know, this is going to continue to go to the moon. Yeah, well, the phrase that I heard recently that kind of also brought it home to me was this phrase digital assets. And it's like, oh, I get it. I can own digital assets now. You know, you can, you know what, we know what assets are in the physical world. You know, my, my properties, my, my, you know, my stocks, whatever. But now in the digital space, you know, whether we've been playing video games and you can buy weapons or whatever the case is, it's like now I can really show like, yeah, no, those are my weapons. And I own these assets in the digital realm and I can prove it because of the blockchain. Yeah. Yeah. And we internally, we like to call it programmable assets okay. because those it, it's beyond a lot of these are beyond like 
digital, it's programmable, meaning it can interact with other blockchain oh, interactions. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so yeah. the facts like you can, you know, if an artist has a collector group of a hundred and the artist is out in France and says, Hey, I'm going to have a dinner for anyone who holds my collector. But when you come in order to get access in, you will, we'll call it forge your NFT with another NFT that changes the properties of your collector NFT to something different that shows you had dinner with me. And then now maybe, you know, you can't have dinner with that artist again. And it, next time it only makes other people, you know, have access to them on certain occasions. So the programmatic effect of these assets are pretty wild. And, and it's a strength that take authenticity to opportunity very fast. Wow, this like shape, you know, as I'm listening to you, it's like the phrase shape shifting came to mind, which, you know, I don't know why, but it's just like this idea that this, that these NFT can morph and change and, and evolve with me as I, you know, yeah. use it in the world or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's currently right now eight figure valuation on NFTs that have pure mystery and speculation behind them. So if you were to go buy one just to be able to use it in a programmatic interaction to see what you would get, it's driving the industry. Man, I got to get in on this. <laughs> hey, you're talking to the right folks. We you can know, help you out I mean, with that. Here's the thing about me, guys. It's like I bought, I didn't buy iPhone one. I bought iPhone two. You know, I usually, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I would never, some things I'm a first adopter, but oftentimes I let, I let 1.0 go because I figure 2.0 is going to be better. You know, I've taken this wait and see approach, you know, with NFTs and crypto and, and I think, you know, that's just my nature, but I mean, I've been learning and watching and pay, trying to pay attention because I do know it's not even the future, it's the present. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's new. So it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the trailblazers are laying the groundwork and stuff and ensure only 1% of the world's population has a crypto wallet. But, f you know, for the, you know, in the United States, we're you know on the cutting edge of so much. And so on the bleeding edge. So anyway, so I do fully believe, you know, my kids, I mean, look, I'm, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. I, I grew up, you know, with analog, you know, I saw the digital revolution happen, but you know, my kids are born digital men. You know I mean? Like they, like they my, you know, they get this shit, you know, before any of us, you know, or, you know, half the time. And, and so, you know, so I, I get it. It, I always felt like the digitization, if you will, of our culture really doesn't have, I mean, I guess the ultimate end is when we just plug into the matrix altogether, <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, you know, uploading our consciousness to the matrix, I guess that's where it's all going. But, you know, I think it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I have to admit, I was pretty bearish on that, you know, uploading your consciousness into the matrix idea, probably like four or five years ago. But now with where we are with the mainnet on Ethereum and the blockchains across other chains, you really just kind of see like the wallet that everyone uses for authentication is that consciousness of existence in a way. I mean, it's not like it's thinking like a human brain, but it's a trail of bits of your existence in on mainnet and people can see what you've bought, what you've sold, what you hold, where you've been for like ones that are tied to events. 
And I kind of joke with my wife all the time. I, I say that if I pass unexpectedly, you know, here's two random internet names that you got to go find on Twitter to uh, let them into my vault. Because it really, you know, I've formed some of the best relationships with strangers online because there's this authenticity of their wallet that is, it's formed a thing of trust. You see the assets that they hold, you see how they hold them, you see their taste, you see the way they're able to curate. There's a network called Rare Pepe's out there, which is this lowbrow piece of art that incorporates this frog that's been memed for about 14, 15 years. And it's just an incredible, big-brained, awesome experiment. And, and you see the people that hold those, um, and it creates this, this form of trust. It's, it's a wild experiment. Well, in our world, our revolution, I guess, of digitization, I mean, the idea and the notion, the concept of community has been digitized. I mean, when I was coming up, right, you know, 80s, 90s, you know, single guy living in Chicago or something, it's like the idea of community was really more about joining the recreational softball league so I could meet chicks. You know, <laughs> that's probably not the politically correct way of saying that now, but you get my point. You know, community now is an online experience. You know, and, you know, in community, not so much about the neighborhood bar anymore, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's, you know, online experience, but driving towards a bigger IRL event. Sorry, it sounds, IRL sounds weird when you say it out loud. It in in, in real life. It. I know what it means. In real life. In, in real life. I'm showing my geekiness there. <laughs> but like when, you know, I think that in real life experience means so much more now when it's bonded, you're kind of soul bound by the everyday pings of digital fabric that's being built with your community. So that when you go out to New York, if you're in New York, NFT NYC, and you have a bag guitar from the Baz Tour, you can come play golf with us at Five Iron in Herald Square, and we'll meet for the first time. But we've exchanged some words over the Discord or some words within the digital community, and it just creates a bond like you've known the person for decades. It's a strange thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's a beautiful thing too, right? I mean, you know, it's like, it's just new, right? Like, you know, it's a new way of interacting and I'm, you know, I, not to beat my metaphor to death or whatever, but I mean, you know, being from having been in Chicago during my single years, right. I was recently in Chicago for work. Of course, now I'm, you know, happily married with two kids, the whole thing, but I was walking around Chicago, you know, reminiscing. And I noticed that, you know, all of the, everybody had their face in their phones, phones. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I'm remembering like when I was there and you know, as a single guy in the nineties, like you could meet people on the street corner. You could meet people at the, on the bus. You could meet people on the bar or at the bar and they weren't shocked because you approached them. Right now I realize, like, oh man, if you want to date or something, you absolutely need an app. Because if I was a single guy and I stepped to this nice looking person here, you know, they might think I was about to assault them or something, you know what I mean? And that's not at all what's happening. I mean, you, it's just this whole change of our, of our way of being, you know? Yeah. I used to live in this desirable neighborhood and this desirable city that I moved out of that neighborhood because I would say hi to people and they would almost be stammered. You know, they would like, <laughs> it would be like 12 feet later, they would throw high over their shoulder or something. It was such an out of character thing to do. Right. So, you know, I think that I have recognized that as well. And it was something that was so disheartening and dis 
utopian for me that I was just waiting for the silver lining. And I, for me, it's 100% connecting over art with a community. Sometimes when you meet other people, they just want you to buy one that they have just because they want you to experience what they have. Right. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Well, you know, Ashton, when you think about how community is built through the exchange of NFTs, for example, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, Andrew just talked about NFT NYC. And if you have a particular NFT, maybe you can play, you know, five iron with them. You know, I mean, you know, as you think about how you might create golfing events, you know, tournaments or things like this, you know, how, what are some of your ideas as to how you would be using your NFTs to build a golf tournament, for example? Yeah, for sure. I mean, something that we, we are constantly saying is from screens to greens. And for us, it's, it's all about <laughs> I that love connectivity. That. Yeah. It's all about that connectivity of, you know, how can we, and I think it's going to be a mission for a lot of people as there is such a digital component here is I think the moment that we can continue to mobilize people and get them to meet up in person and to experience things, you know, that's the key and the relationships. And that's where your community is going to grow and really strengthen, I believe, you know, for golf specifically, it happens to be our, you know, mission happens to be a sport. It happens to be a game, a game that is played with other people and you can play individually, but you know, already we've had people meet up in the community. We've already had people in a group that had a certain rarity, right? They had a certain trait. And in that group, they started talking and one of the people didn't know how to play golf and these other people knew how to play golf. And so they invited them and they all met up and they played golf. They've never met before. They knew nothing about, you know, one another. But through this NFT, through this project, they invited them to, hey, like, don't be scared of golf. Like, come, we'll show you how to play. We'll show you how to hit. We'll show you how to, you know, get on the tee box and how to putt and how to do these things. Like, that was an experience directly from our community. We're one of, you know, thousands of projects that are utilizing our mission to bring people out from their screens, out from their phones, and really experience, you know, community in its full-fledged, you know, as much as we can with golf. And it doesn't matter if you're in the Midwest. It doesn't matter if you're on the West coast, like there's going to be opportunities and there's people all around the country that you can meet up with and, and enjoy that. So it's, it's exciting to see. And and it's something that we're experiencing and, and really, you know, we're proponents of. So. Yeah. I mean, you hit on something that's kind of ironic a little bit, right. Which is like, you're using technology to get people off their technology. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because you said something about like getting them on the greens, off the screens, on the greens. Right. And, you know, that's my whole thing, you know, about, I guess, because, you know, I don't know, maybe it's my age, my generation, whatever. But like, I'm an outdoors guy. Like and, you know, and the, the point is, is that, you know, at my age, certainly with two kids, you know, quite frankly, I want to spend less time at my desk, on my computer and on my phone, not more time. So how do I engage in a metaverse and a Web3 metaverse in such a way that actually enhances my humanity and enhances my connection with the natural world versus mitigates it or minimizes it? It's when brands and people with interest in this space take that leap. Patagonia, North Face, you know, those are brands, but individuals who wear those brands find a unique way and say, hey, we're going to go climb Kilimanjaro. And here's an NFT that gets you in to win a part of that trip. 
And we're going to get, you know, we're going to go through and through this NFT, you're going to get experience to, you know, training and together we're all going to kind of work together. We've never met, but through this NFT that we're attracted to, we're going to like have a bond and then we're going to go climb a mountain. Like that's, that is a direct use case. Like you being an out, outdoors person, like there is someone that is building that, that is going to make that possible. And it just, it takes someone to do it. So. And just like those brands that are built off being aspirational, I think that's the new wave. We have to get, you know, removing yourself from tech to become aspirational. I think if you ask anybody from Gen X to millennial to probably even Gen Z, if you ask them if they're they're happy with their device behavior right now, I think we could all say we're not. I think we all could be able to step away from it a little bit more and reprogram a bit. But I think the fact of the matter is, is like that it's an aspirational game from here on out. And we have to we have to constantly work on it. And we need brands to constantly remind us to work on it. I love that. I love what you're suggesting because I mean, really what you're saying is it, it's a reminder of the truth. The truth is, Ron, we're just at the beginning and and these brands, these organization companies such as yourself, organizations such as yourself are going to innovate and design new ways, uh, new utilities, new ways of engaging that enhances our humanity ultimately. Yeah. And, and that's and that's a beautiful I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, and, you know, because I think it's also very trendy right now to be doom and gloom about the future and doom and gloom even yeah. about the present. I mean, there's a lot that's right. fucked up right now. No, no right. don't get me wrong. But it's this is a hopeful take. Right. And I really appreciate that. I'm really grateful to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes from the core of our our code, even our, our head of engineering. He is either disconnected up in the mountains working yeah. on a farm or he's yeah. at his home working on a code base. And for him, there's no in between it's working on code or building his farm. And it, right. you know, I think from the outside world, a lot of people think that that doesn't make sense, but from the way, you know, we approach tech, I think it's the only thing that makes sense. Andrew, I have a question for you. Maybe you know the answer, maybe you don't, but you know, one of the principal criticisms that I've heard about NFTs and blockchain, so on and so forth. And by the way, I've heard people argue that this criticism is also bullshit. You know, I don't know what the truth is, but the carbon footprint of yeah. blockchain, of minting, of NFTs, of crypto has drawn a lot of, uh, it's been a, a lightning rod, it seems, for critics to say, oh, you know, it's not environmentally, you know, sustainable, so on and so forth. What yeah. is the truth? What is What are the facts about the carbon environmental footprint? Yeah, we call that FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, in those situations, you kind of throw FUD at things. I'm a huge proponent of the environment. Climate change, in my opinion, needs to be a dead top priority for the future generations coming up. So that's, you know, my personal bias. With that said, there is a problem with blockchains that are mining their coins or their NFTs or minting their NFTs if they're mining them in a form that's called proof of work. And I'll try to keep this like high level and not get too deep, but proof of work essentially means there are a bunch of computers likely in large database centers that are running all the time to mine transactions. And the more these computers run, the more energy they take from the grid, the more people use it, the more energy they're going to require, the worse it is for climate change. So there is no doubt that the blockchain does not help 
climate, the climate environment and situation as it exists today. What many people don't realize and what they're missing is that from probably four to five years ago, the people who've started these blockchains have had a plan to move from proof of work to what is called proof of stake. And instead of requiring computers and GPUs to process these transactions, they will require holders of coins that arguably got them from something that was negative from the climate or negative for the climate. Those holders will then stake them, which basically think of it as a deposit. They will deposit and they will deposit it. It will become a node and it will act as the same validator that the computer did. So when you look at chains like Ethereum, Ethereum, and you might've heard if you've watched any crypto news talk about ETH2 or proof of stake ETH. This is something that is the last date that was thrown out um, that it was going to become alive is August. I'm a little more bearish on that timeline. I think it'll probably come winter of this year. It's a big migration and they're rockstar developers and I know they'll be able to pull it off, but it is a lot of risk. And once they do that migration, the chain right now that has the most transactions going across it is Ethereum. And that will cut down an enormous amount of impact on the climate. So the short and detailed answer to your question is you're not wrong. It is an issue, but there have been solutions that are extremely architecturally difficult that are about to be pulled off in short order. If I could put something into, if I could put a comparison in front of you, it would be as if cloud computing was deemed vulnerable and deemed security risks because web two was meant just for communication and the ISP providers of Web2 or the ISP providers of the internet actually totally re-architected the internet to then solve that problem, which hasn't happened and it never will happen. We just have security professionals that patch and do their research. And so that's created that job market there. But it's pretty remarkable that something so new like the blockchain has the foresight to actually come off of this inefficiency. Uh, well, thank you for that. That is super enlightening and super fascinating and very hopeful and inspiring, you know, but it's like any technology, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the 1.0 version is probably going to be a little messy, a little dirty, whatever. And then, you know, hopefully as yeah. we innovate and, and mature, you know, we become more sustainable and I got to believe, I mean, listen, I mean, I guessing that the brightest, best minds, you know, that are architecting these solutions are younger minds, younger people who have, you know, who are going to be around for the next 50 years. So, of course, they're interested in creating yeah. a net zero carbon free kind of uh, solution. Absolutely. And Gen Zers are, they are fierce about the climate. Like I am so bullish on them and everything they'll bring into our world and make it a better spot. So it's pretty exciting. Well, i tell you what I'm bullish on. I'm bullish on Andrew and Ashton, I'm <laughs> bullish on Good Month Labs and Baz Golf. And I'm just so grateful for your time, Ashton Owens and Andrew Medeiros. And uh, thank you so much, guys, for coming through. This has been so cool. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't get a chance to talk about this stuff too much. And, you know, to hear from two, not, well, from one expert 
and one innovator. Well, you're both innovators, but it's an honor. And I'm so grateful for you guys coming and enlightening us. And, uh, you know, I want you to know you're welcome back anytime. Please come back and update us about all the great work you're doing. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. It was a blast. Thank you for having us. Hey, guys. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Do you guys listen to podcasts? What do you What do you like to listen to? Man, right now I'm just drilled in on like bank lists, modern finance, any new crypto NFT podcast that's coming up because it's a space where I've never had information thrown out at me this fast ever. So it can make you feel pretty stupid pretty fast. So just trying to intake <laughs> well, as, as much as possible. What hope is there for me? Because I'm not listening to any of those podcasts. <laughs> no, that, we will shave down the learning curve. That that is <laughs> okay. everyone who is who's been in for the last year and a half. It's it's their duty to shave that learning curve down. You know, and I'm going to circle back though with you, Andrew, specifically as well, because I'd love to hear and talk further about how you could even help us think about how not real art shows up. You know, yeah. in the in the, in Web three. So, you know, I'm just grateful to meet you both on so many levels and, you know, and it's a real pleasure. Please do come back. You know, Andrew, you've mentioned a couple of times, you mentioned this NFT, NFC thing, NYC, NFT. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that before we go. Yeah, just NFT NYC is a biannual event that is out in New York. And I believe it's biannual because the first one I knew about was October and now this one is in June. So I'm assuming it's biannual unless it got pulled up. But, you know, I personally am not going to go to the conference so much. So I, I don't know too much about the conference, but basically the communities that have launched over the last year, year and a half, and that built big communities are just kind of expected to have meetups and parties. It's like the in real life stop that many people are planning to get to. Kyle Kill's coming all the way from Australia to New York. So it's kind of like if everyone's going to make a trip, they're going to make it out to New York for this time. And, you know, it just... I have to compare it to South by Southwest in the early thousands. Like it's that all over again, except instead of music and tech, it's NFTs, tech, art, music, and the bit. Yeah. It's like cutting edge culture now. It's like, they, like these events are going to like the hot new clubs. Like you don't know the bouncer, you're not getting in. <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you don't have the NFT, man, you're not getting in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you know, people were walking around with some expensive assets in their pockets. And that's the coolest <laughs> thing, right? Is you can rob anyone you want at NFT and NYC and they're still going to own their assets because, you know, they won't be able to access it. <laughs> oh man. Fantastic. Well, Again, guys, thanks so much. Come back, please. And we're going to wrap up, but don't go anywhere. Hang out, okay? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.